Look, I really miss uh, meeting together in person. Amy and I really grieve not being able to be close to friends, loved ones, and really any human being. The situation with the coronavirus has thrown up a lot of challenges, but it's also created some great opportunities and benefits like you've all come to church on time. Praise God. And it's never been so easier now to invite your friends to church because now church is now going to you in the comforts of your own home. You don't even have to put on your shoes. And the exciting opportunity is that the word of God is going out wherever people are carrying their phones. How exciting is that? But then I had this massive realization this week that there is probably someone who's tuning into this service right now whilst they're on the toilet. Uh, If that's you, if you're on the can right now, look, I find it a little bit uncomfortable, but I praise God that I get to serve you with God's word today. Good for you and praise God that you are so committed that you are not willing to miss a beat, not miss the second of today's passage and message Just remember, wash your hands and maybe be frugal on your squares so that you can offer your toilet rolls to your friends and neighbours. If you're new to church, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to continue to finish this series before Easter because Jesus' words in Matthew 5 to 7 has been so timely and relevant in our current time and circumstances. So let me read to you Matthew chapter 7, verses 7, uh, uh, verses 1 to 12. Let me read that to you now. Matthew chapter 7, from verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." Ask, and you, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will be given him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything you do to others, what you will do to have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In today's passage, Jesus talks about judgment and prayer. Both are really relevant topics for Jesus to speak into today. We are seeing a global rise of people coming to God in prayer. There's a great awakening in the church in coming God to prayer. But also for the rest of the world, all kinds of people are coming to God in prayer. Because together we are all humbled by this mutant virus. 
It has brought us to our knees. We realize that we can't keep ourselves alive. We are dependent beings. But with the rise of prayer, there's also what we might observe, a rise in judgmentalism. With the revolution of the internet and social media, through the course of the internet revolution, the public discourse has shifted from facts to opinions. And now as we grapple and respond to the current pandemic, you probably notice that our social media feeds is filled with judgments. Not just mere opinions, but scathing condemnation. Jesus speaks about how to relate to one another in the area of judging one another. But I first want to briefly touch on God's judgment and the coronavirus. Some have asked, does the coronavirus mean that God hates us? Some church leaders have said, it is the judgment of God because the world supported and legislated things that goes against God's design. Or some have said it's God's discipline on the church, on the people of God who have held the gathering with disdain and treated it with such disrespect. But friends, I've got to be honest with you. There's no specific word from the Lord that is clear on this matter. So in these uncertain times, it's all the more important for us to come to God's word and hear what he has said on the matter rather than coming up with our own explanation. So very briefly, I want to share three truths from God's words that I hope you'll find helpful that is ministered to me. The first thing we do know from God's word is that creation is groaning and in decay. Let me read for you Romans 8, verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom, into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Our world is a fallen world, and it groans with its brokenness, and it's enslaved to decay and destruction. And so we locate this pandemic in the reality that our world is broken and disordered right down to the human cell and bacterial level. We locate the pandemic in a world that is in decline, and it won't stop until Jesus returns. Sadly, there has been pandemics, and there will most likely be more pandemics. We are not alone in history in living in a groaning and decaying world. But God is never absent in all of this. The second thing that we know clearly in God's word is that although the world is in decline, God is still actively sustaining the world. He hasn't given up on this world. And so we can actually be thankful We can be thankful that we have had a long season of good health in Australia. We must pause and recognize that the fact that COVID-19 is so unusual in of itself is something that we can be thankful for. Although pandemic is the result of our fallen world, we can be thankful that this is not a common occurrence because Jesus continues to sustain our world. So thank you, Jesus. But be also thankful for the world leaders who are working together both medically and economically trying to manage this situation, which scripture tells us that God is sovereignly at work through our leaders to bring order and flourishing to our world. And thirdly, we know that God is not absent and he loves us. He loves his people because he sent his son Jesus to rescue and redeem our broken world. And so we can rightly grieve now but not without hope. 
Jesus has paid for the consequences of our sin and the suffering and the death in this world, and he rose again so that we can look forward to our resurrected body, to a renewed creation where there will be no sin, no decay, no destruction. And so what God has said about this situation is that it's not right. God also grieves about the brokenness of the world. God is still in control, so we can be thankful for him restraining the effects of sin and brokenness onto our world, and that he loves you. He has sent his son Jesus to rescue you from your sin and the brokenness of this world, so that you can grieve, but not without hope. I don't have a clear answer from God's word as to why he gave us COVID-19, but we do have a clear answer on how we are to respond to COVID-19. We are to humbly admit that we need a saviour to fix us and our world and to put our hopes on him. God will judge the world rightly to fix all the wrongs in this world, but he treats us with love and mercy by giving us salvation in Jesus. And that shapes how Christians treat one another. So read with me Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, does this verse mean that Christians are not to be judgmental at all? Is this verse a thing that you can use to stop someone from making a judgment on you, to stop someone in giving critical feedback to you? And this is where I found New Testament scholar Scott McKnight to be really helpful. He says, we have to distinguish between moral discernment and personal condemnation. So we can, according to God's word, say this is right or this is wrong, but we can never say you're condemned by God. We don't have that vantage point. We need to distinguish between moral discernment and personal condemnation. And so we're not forbidden from using our intellectual abilities to discern. We can still speak into someone's life without condemning them. And so Scott McKnight says this passage is rightly translated as do not condemn or you too will be condemned. And this gets right to the heart of this passage. We do not have permission to condemn another soul. Jesus is encouraging us to be morally discerning. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he is encouraging us to use our discernment, use our judgment to truly obey the law of God. He's pro-discernment and pro-judging wisely. In fact, he actually takes discernment and judgment even further and more deeply to not only evaluate our exterior behaviors, but he asks us, invites us to access, evaluate, discern, and judge the motives of our hearts. But we never must fall over into the edge of condemning. So how do we put this into practice? Well, Jesus gives us an illustration. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the illustration is pretty ridiculous. For someone to have a two-by-four 
timber coming out of their face. Jesus is making it absolutely clear that someone with a two-by-four timber that's protruding out of their face has absolutely no vision, no perception to be able to find a speck of sawdust. The only solution is obviously to take the plank out of your own eye. What Jesus is saying is that criticism or correction is not going to be effective and you'll most likely make a misjudgment if you can't even see your own faults. Really, it's common sense. You're not going to be really inclined to take advice from a hypocrite. You're not going to have too much respect for someone who hasn't really got their life together. Jesus, in his wisdom, is saying that you won't have social awareness unless you first have self-awareness. You won't be accurate in addressing another person's foggy vision unless you deal with your own blindness. So if we're going to exercise healthy judgment of each other's speck, how do we practically do this? Well, Richard Mao, who was the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, has a really helpful way of capturing this log and speck tension. He said, if you enter into any critical conversation, concentrate on your own sinfulness and the other person's humaneness. Concentrate on your own sinfulness and concentrate on the other person's humaneness. If we have this posture, if we assess the weakness of our own sin-affected thinking and perception more critically and think of the person more graciously and more humanely, more relationally, it will flavor and change the way we speak to each other. If we concentrate on our own sinfulness and the other person's humaneness. The other really helpful practical question to ask yourself when you're entering any, any critical conversation is to ask yourself, am I trying to make a point or am I trying to make a difference? Am I trying to make a point or am I trying to make a difference? If you're speaking into someone's life to get something off your chest and you're just trying to make a point, you're not actually trying to make a difference to their life. If you're trying to get the final word, you're trying to prove that they're wrong, if you go into a relationship trying to make a point, it's probably better that you keep your mouth shut. But if you want to go into a relationship to be a conduit of God's mercy, if you want to help them see what's going on from a different perspective, then that changes, again, how you speak to that person. And I think one big difference with how we speak to that person is that you'll remember that you're speaking about a speck, not the sum of the whole person. You'll be careful to speak about the specific situation, specific action, specific behavior, and not about who they are as a whole person. We'll remember it's about a moment of their being not the sum of who they are. And in our time of uncertainty, we will all be seeking for answers. And so we do need to be discerning of what we read and how we are to process our situation. And we will all respond to the situation in all sorts of different ways, good ways and bad ways. And so we'll need to be able to speak into each other to help people to see a different perspective to help people assess their attitudes, their behaviours. But we do all of this in refraining from judging too quickly. We do all of this 
with refraining from making any personal condemnation, especially to those who, who we have no direct relationship with. All of that's going on right now, it's going to test our faith. And what I anticipate will be something that I perhaps will grieve the most is that through this testing time, some, maybe what Jesus says, are like the seeds that are sown in the thorns, where the worries of life and the deceitfulness of money will choke the word, making it unfruitful. I grieve the thought of someone leaving the church, a fellow brother or sister giving up on the faith. Some may reject the good news of Jesus during this time, and Jesus alludes to this in the passage, describing it as throwing pearls to the pigs. I grieve about this reality, yet it is not our place to condemn another. Rather, our response is to pray for them, because God can still change the hardest of hearts. Our God loves and he welcomes all prodigal sons and daughters. And just as Jesus has shown grace and mercy towards us, we are to show grace and mercy to the family of God. That is how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But how do we relate to God? How ought we to come to God in prayer? If the hypocritical religious leaders relate to others with cynicism and condemning judgment, it would seem to be painting a picture of God to be just like them. But Jesus gives us a different, completely different and beautiful picture of who God really is. Verse 7 is what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus paints this wonderful picture that we can openly and freely come to God in prayer. And he gives us this magnificent promise that God will hear our prayers. What verse 7 is, it's it's an incredible image that we can come to God like a child comes to their parent. Because ask, seek, knock, well, those are just steps that a child takes when they're asking their parent. This is what it's like in a new household every morning. First asking, mommy, 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 daddy, 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 mommy, I want milk, daddy, I want to go downstairs, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. No response. So the second is seeking, daddy, I'm coming to you, mommy, I'm coming to you, daddy, I'm coming to you, daddy, I'm coming to your bed, mommy, I'm coming to your bed. Next is knocking, bang, 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 daddy, wake up, daddy, wake up, mommy, wake up, bang, 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 bang. I want milk. Jesus says, when you come to the Father God, when you ask, he will respond. When you seek, you will find him. When you knock, the door is open to you. The point that Jesus is making is that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand almost touchable with his nearness, or hard to see, or even with barriers in between, he will hear you. He will make himself known to you, and he will remove all the barriers between you and him. You can come to God as a child freely, openly, and persistently 
as a child goes to their father. And Jesus continues to reinforce that God is a good father from verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying that even evil parents know that they have a duty a responsibility to provide for their children food and basic sustenance. And so how much more can you expect a good father in heaven who is generous, who wants to provide, be able to answer your prayers? You see, God the Father is better than even the best earthly fathers. He is exceedingly generous. He wants to give his children good gifts. Is that the vision that you have of God. Because your vision of God will shape and determine your prayer life. If your vision of God is a good father in heaven, then you will desire to come to God freely, openly, persistently, asking, seeking, knocking. But it's at this point we need to address a challenge. The challenge is unanswered prayer. Sometimes our prayers aren't unanswered because our prayers are just too small. But there are times when there are legitimate prayer, legitimate needs that is asked before God and there's silence. And it's painful. And we read promises like this in Scripture and think either the promise isn't true or maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know how to reconcile what I'm reading here with my experience. And as I was reflecting on this, once again, I was really struck by what scholar Scott McKnight has to say about unanswered prayer. And so I'll quote him at length. He writes, I have no answer to the problem of unanswered prayer. Frankly, the typical answers don't do much for me that God does answer, but not the way we expected, that we are to keep on praying, that we are out of God's will, that our motives are impure, that we have no answer to the problem of unanswered prayer. And frankly, the typical answers don't do much for me. None of these really get to the heart of our heartfelt yearning for God to act. He says, I don't appeal here to mystery. Instead, I focus on what and who God is. I continue to lay my petition before God in faith, trust, and hope. Sometimes hope lags behind our petitions, and sometimes hope sustains us. But I keep on praying because I believe God is good. Sometimes it's discouraging. I'll be a liar if I didn't admit it. So as we wrestle with unanswered prayer... Our response is not to minimize the pain or to pretend that it's not disorientating. As Scott says, you will be a liar if you say it's not disorientating and discouraging. Yet it is to hold to that and still move to God in hope and say, God, I still believe that you are good. I still believe that you're generous. I still believe that you're able to answer prayer. The invitation is to continue to see that God is a good father 
even though we can't understand why he's acting the way he is. And that's risky, but we can do this because he is our good father. He's generous and he gives good things to his children. And what might help us to reconcile this tension is to ask, so what are the good gifts that our Father in heaven promises to give us? In one sense, it says it's our daily bread, our necessary provisions. The immediate illustration that Jesus gives to us is about food. And in his sermon, he has taught us to ask God for our daily bread. And he has said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things food, clothes, all these daily necessities will be provided. But this is just a small ask for what God can give us. Because what we actually need to ask is, why does this teaching on asking, seeking, knocking appear here at the end of his sermon? Why doesn't he teach this earlier? Now, if you've been listening carefully to what Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, you're probably feeling overwhelmed. Think about his approach to the law. If you're angry towards someone, he says you're liable as breaking the law as someone who's committed murder. If you feel lustful towards someone, he's saying you are as liable to breaking the law as someone who's committed adultery. And let's not forget, he says, love your enemies. And then he keeps piling on all these ethical instructions that are so countercultural, that are so counterintuitive to us. It's pretty overwhelming. And then he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and God will take care of the rest. Then he says, hey, your finances, don't worry about investing in treasures on earth. Instead, invest in treasures in heaven and God will take care of you. Really, like, who can attain that? Who can actually put this into practice? No one. And that's why his teaching about asking, seeking, and knocking comes at this point, comes at the end. Jesus is saying that you can never strive your way into the kingdom. You can never earn your way into the kingdom. You can't do it. But guess what? All you have to do is ask, seek, knock, and God will open up his kingdom for you and God will enable you to live the kingdom life. And so Jesus closes his sermon and he says, this vision of the kingdom of God is not an ideal, but it can be real if you ask God for it. It's a gift. And Luke's gospel makes the good gift more explicit. This is what Luke says in Luke's gospel. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke spells it out that the good gift is the Holy Spirit. The good gift is God himself. And what God gives to his children is not just his provisions, but it's his presence. God does not hold back of himself. God gives of himself generously to all of us. And by his presence in our lives, he makes the way of the kingdom possible. 
By his presence, you cannot be angry, but you can be peaceful. You cannot be lustful, but you can be faithful. You cannot be vengeful, but you can be forgiving. You cannot be anxious, but you can be confident. The good gift that God gives is not just his provisions, but it's his presence. If you're a Christian, you have already received the good gift of the Holy Spirit. And by his spirit, you can have more and more of God when you ask for him. And so we are to seek first his kingdom. That is, seek first his presence. And then he'll provide all your provisions. When we understand that this is the order of the greatest gift, we can reconcile this passage. But if we're honest, we can get that order around the wrong way. And so with this word from Jesus, we can reorder and re-anchor our hearts. So we can ask God, give me your presence. Give me your peace at this time. Remind me of your goodness. Help me to see that you are with me. So it's totally fine to ask God for our needs, but the relentless, persistent asking, seeking, and knocking is not about what we need, it's about who we need. That is about Jesus exhorting us to pursue him in prayer. We don't have to strive to live the way of the kingdom, we just have to ask him. Jesus, I can't love my enemy, Lord, Help me love my enemy. Jesus, I can't be poor in spirit. Lord, help me be poor in spirit. Do you see what Jesus is getting at with the Sermon on the Mount? He's not about getting things right with the law. He's about walking with God who gives us his presence free of charge. And all we have to do is ask. That is why this passage is so hope-inspiring. That is why this passage is such a great source of comfort in our difficult times that we're facing right now. Because although we may not be given all the provisions that we need, he does give us his presence in abundance. He's generous in giving himself to us. And it is my prayer, it is my plea that our church leaders will be united around this kingdom priority because the greatest need of our world is not to flatten the curve. The greatest need for our world is to be saved from an ongoing moral, spiritual, physical decline into destruction and death. That is the great crisis of our world. The danger that the church faces right now is that we can get stuck with COVID compliance, whereas our kingdom priority is communicating Christ, our risen Christ. Our message in this moment is not to stay at home. Yes, we do that in love of others, but the government, the authorities, they're doing their best to get that message across our nation. But our calling is to go out and spread the message of Jesus' grace and mercy. Maybe not physically, but definitely digitally. This is our calling. This is the priority that shapes our prayers. And so after this service, as we break off into our online morning tea, 
We're going to pray to God with a kingdom priority. We're going to pray to seek first his presence, then for his provisions. We're going to seek first Christ, then a solution for coronavirus. We're going to seek first his salvation, then his solution for our situation. We're going to seek first the kingdom, then all these things will be given to us. Friends, if you tuned in, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, God is inviting you to receive the good gift of salvation. God is inviting you to seek first his presence, and he will provide for your provisions. God is seeking you to seek first Christ, and he will sort out coronavirus. God is seeking you to find salvation, and he will provide a solution to our situation. If that's you and you feel compelled to seek salvation in Christ in this present moment, then all you need to do is ask and he will give you the gift of salvation. All you have to do is prayer. All you have to do is a simple prayer that involves sorry, please, and thanks. You say, sorry for ignoring you that I've lived my own way. Please help me to put my trust in Jesus who forgives my sins. And thank you, God, that you receive me as your child. Thank you for the free gift of salvation and the eternal relationship with you as my heavenly Father. So if that's you, if you would like to receive a free gift from this first live stream, just please join me in prayer. Just follow my prayer. Our Heavenly Father, sorry, I'm sorry for ignoring you in living my own way. Please, please help me to put my trust in Jesus who forgives my sin. Thank you. Thank you that you receive me as your child. Thank you for the free gift of salvation and the eternal relationship with you, my Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.